Uh, if you're brand new, welcome. My name is Ryan. Thrilled, thrilled to have you. Um, I don't know about you, but I have spring fever right now. You know, the, it looks like summer outside, but it's not quite summer. We get teased, uh, then it rains on us. Um, it's lighter a little bit later. And May is a weird month if you have kids, especially if they're in like the uh, elementary age. I think for those of us who have kids, it is possibly the busiest time of the year. It can be even busier than Christmas because your kids have school projects. Now, why a teacher puts all the projects at the end of the year. We could do that another time. Thank you very much. Uh, and then they have field trips, and then they have um, like mus- spring musicals. I'm like, okay, that's great, but I don't really need to hear you sing. Um, I hear it at home and in the car enough. Uh, you know. And then you have spring baseball and sports, and you want to stay up later. And then I've been hanging out and talking with a number of our college students, and, and they have spring fever as well because they're in the middle of almost finishing up, you know, to the very end. Is anybody, am I alone? Anybody else like ready for summer or you just love spring? Okay, a few of you, all right. A few of you are with me this morning. Um, And here's what I notice about spring uh, and just a lot of different things is spring kind of brings about, uh, for me, that last 10%. You know, that last 10% that is like the hardest part there's something about the last 10% of almost any endeavor that, that has um, disproportionate amount of difficulty, doesn't it? I don't know whether you're dieting and it's that very last 10% of your diet or maybe working out, uh, that very last 10% even of that individual workout or of school. But here's what we know about that last 10%. The last 10% often makes or breaks us, doesn't it? Here's what's so interesting about the last 10%. The last 10%, if we don't go the last 10%, and I don't care what it is, whether it's finishing out the school year well, whether it's finishing out, you know, maybe your goals and dreams and all those sort of things. If we don't finish out the last 10%, we've experienced this, it can actually undermine, right, the 90% that you have done before, right? It, It can actually undermine and undercut the very things that you've been working for for 90% of the year or 90% of whatever endeavor. This morning, we're going to talk about the last 10% of being better together. We've been wrestling with this idea of better and fundamentally believe that we're better together than we ever could be apart. And culturally, we have kind of two distinct pathways to better our American ideological kind of idea of better is I can better myself by myself, right? I can be better. I can better. Uh, It's the independent, self-made woman, self-made man. And this is our default because it's easier, but we we intuitively know it's actually not all that much better. 
But we have this idea of then, uh, really, we know that we, the we-ness of life, is way, way better than just me. But we run into this problem, because when we get to others around us, for a brief moment, it's better, but then it gets harder, because we're different. Remember that? We talked about week two, the differences that unite and how it's so powerful that we begin to focus on the differences that unite us and not divide us. This morning, I want to talk about something that is, I think, missing culturally, but specifically for us as the community, as followers of Jesus. That, That is holding us back from experiencing the better together life. And it's the last 10%. The last 10% is hard. The last 10% often causes us to focus with more intensity than the first 90%. It comes with disproportionate difficulty. And yet, if we don't go the last 10%, we'll miss out on the better together life. If you got your Bibles, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 4? If not, it's in your notes. But before we dive into the last 10%, Paul's going to tell us what's at stake if we don't go the last 10%. What's at risk? What will we miss out on? Because I think for some of us, when you think about the last 10%, it's like, well, what will I really miss out on? Not fitting into that dress size, you know, not graduating. Okay, there's different things at stake when we don't go the last 10%. Paul's going to tell us for us as a community and for you individually, what's at stake? What will we miss out on? What will you miss out on if you don't go the last 10%? Here's what he says. He's going to essentially say one of the biggest barriers for us experiencing better is spiritual maturity. Is this, what's at stake is your maturity. <laughs> Maturation, you becoming who you are ultimately designed to be. You becoming the full and mature person. And then, by the way, who we were designed to be. Notice how the Apostle Paul says it right here. He says, then, then we will no longer be infants. Underline that word infant. This word infant uh, in, in the NIV says infant. Some of your translations may say a child. It, it's the Greek word for really toddler. Really kind of denotes that two to four range. Uh, and it has the idea of someone who is learning to walk and talk. And all of us parents know that the most dangerous time for kids is when they're toddlers, right? It is one of the more stressful times. My kids are grown. And so when it's quiet, I don't worry as much. When my kids were toddlers and it was quiet, something was wrong. Because if they were getting into trouble, they might not be breathing. You're running in there because they're old enough to be mobile, but not old enough to be mature and have good, you know, reasonable responses. They're not old enough to know not to go into the street, they're, but they're old enough to run into the street. That's what this word is about. And it later became known as a colloquialism for being immature. Then we'll no longer be infants, and he's going to give us basically a picture or framework for what it means to be spiritually immature. First, that tossed and back and forth by the waves. Second, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And third, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. 
one of the biggest barriers for us experiencing better together individually and as a people is this whole idea of spiritual immaturity. It will keep us stuck if we don't go the last 10%. Here's the picture of spiritual immaturity. Those of, who are spiritual immature first are thrown by circumstances in life. I don't know if you ever thought about, am I spiritually mature or am I spiritually immature? And let me just get, paint a picture, or at least the picture that Paul paints for what it means to be spiritually immature. Now, we've all been around people, and we've all experienced this, that a hard event hits your life, and all of a sudden, you begin to question God. A hard event hits your life and storms, and that's literally what this phrase is, thrown back and forth. It's literally the picture of a violent sea tossing a ship, that when you're spiritually an infant, when you're spiritually a kid, a child, events take on bigger proportions, waves seem bigger and grander. And here's what we do when we're spiritually infants. We actually begin to determine the size of our God by the size of our storm. We begin to, I said it this way, the presence of a storm determines our view of God rather than the presence of God determining our view of the storm. See, because when a storm hits, all of a sudden you just begin to be unstable. Second area is that we adjust our doctrine based on preference or pressure. Adjust your beliefs. Adjust what's actually true. Now, think about this, though. Everyone who starts out spiritually starts out at infancy. Everyone, you can hang with me here. Everyone who starts out spiritually, starts in that relationship with Jesus, starts out at infancy. But here's the thing that's interesting about the church is we all start at different ages. Some people start as a kid and grow up in the church and start walking with Jesus. Some people start at 15. Some people start at 50. And sometimes we unintentionally judge maturity based on age, based on looking at someone and going, well, they must be mature. Maturity actually has less to do with age and how you respond to events in your life. Maturity is a response to circumstances, response to pressure, response to people. And so when we begin to look at the church and we realize everyone's starting point. So this isn't like we're down. If you go and like, hey, that's where I'm at. That's our starting point. Welcome to the club. We've all started there. Second thing is every new believer then needs to be nurtured no matter what their age. It needs to be nurtured. A brand new believer in Christ It is like a little toddler that is just learning to walk. But there's all sorts of things out there. I I was just talking to one friend who came to know Jesus not too long ago. And and as he was talking, he had some Jehovah's Witnesses come up and talk to him. Actually, uh, Mormons, Latter-day Saints, come and talk to him. Well, they're saying the name of Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus is God. They don't believe that salvation is by grace alone through faith. They believe you have to work it and that Jesus is not the son of God, but he is, he is just one of many gods. Like, but a new believer goes like, well, we're saying the same words. Yeah, we're saying the same words, but we mean vastly different 
things. And so a just doctrine based on preference. And number three is a lack of discernment with people. You ever notice how a child believes almost anything they're told? It's something amazing about kids, but it's also a little bit problematic. When I was a kid, uh, I, my granddad was uh, kind of wily. He still is. Uh, and I remember one Christmas he came to visit. He's from West Virginia. And so like growing up, uh, he's like classic, you know, hillbilly folk. He would tell us stories as a kid. He'd take out his dentures and shine a flashlight, you know, on his face. And it'd be this scary ghost story, you know, um, like, oh my goodness. You know, I have nightmares of my granddad. Um, And I remember one Christmas, my my granddad telling me my Christmas present was in the backyard. And I go back and it's dark and I say, I can't see it. I can't see it, granddad. What'd you get me? I got you a snork. I'm like, what's a snork? Oh, it's this creature I caught up in West Virginia. I'm like, no way. Well, I go out there and can't see it. I'm saying, where is it? It's in an invisible cage. I can't see it because it's invisible. I believed for days that in our backyard was a snork in an invisible cage. Because why? At four and five years of age, you believe what people tell you. Spiritual immaturity is this overall lack of discernment with people. Now, Here's something I just want to speak to for us in the church. Toddlers, if you've never had one, because they're learning to potty train, they're messy. Toddlers are noisy. I mean, my kids are out of that stage, and I feel for those who are still in that stage. Toddlers are me-centered, They don't have the capacity to be you-centered. Their first words are, mine. Toddlers need constant attention. Toddlers need consistent correction. With just this basis of unlimited affection. What if we viewed the church less of the people who bother us and began to see one another moving from infancy to maturity to adulthood? And what we often do in the church with toddlers, and by the way, remember, all of us start out as spiritually infants. What we say is grow up instead of how can I help you grow What we say is, you know what? When you get your act together, then you can play a part. The church is in desperate need of spiritual mothers and fathers who will nurture and care and see with spiritual eyes. We have a congregation. We have a people who desperately need to be gathered around rather than pushed out. 
that we wouldn't complain when we're seeing infants in our church, but we'd be excited because we have the, we have the great responsibility to nurture and care and help one another grow up into Christ. See, what's at stake if we don't go the last 10% is actually staying stuck in infancy for you. I mean, don't you want to not always be so thrown by your circumstances? Don't you want your beliefs to be so founded on what's true that whatever comes over Facebook, whatever a professor says, you're able to withstand the onslaught? Don't, come on, don't you want to be able to see with discernment other people and understand, you know what, I'm not going to buy all their selling because I can see behind that because I have spiritual eyes to see other people based on what's true and what God's words says. See, that's what's at stake if we don't go the last 10%. Now, Paul's going to tell us the last 10%. It's not going to be crazy. It's not going to be complex. But I guarantee you, it will have for us that feeling of disproportionate difficulty. That's why I believe I think he sets it up with telling us what's at stake. Because going the last 10% simply means this, is that we would be speaking and receiving the truth in love. That there would be a speaking and there would also be a receiving of the truth in love. That's what grows you. That's what builds us up. That's what grows you. And that's what makes us better. Notice how the Apostle Paul says it. He says, instead... Instead of spiritual infancy, speaking, now circle that word speaking. We're going to get to that. It's actually a technical term. I love this word because so oftentimes when we read this, we think about it only verbally. We think about it only what we say. This word actually has this full breadth of meaning where it's not just speaking. It literally means practicing. In fact, one translation says truthing to somehow try to get the, uh, the full essence of this word. It's not just my spoken word. It is living in word and in deed truth. How? In love. Now, some of us in the room are strong on the truth side. Some of us, we're so good at truth, but we actually stink on the in love side. (laughs) Some of us like to be very clear, like to correct. Some of us can be critical. It can come off as condemning and possibly even judgmental. I think this is why we shy away from this. But speaking truth, not notice, not preference, speaking truth, not just your personality, 
Well, I, I just don't like the way they do that. It's what's true. How? In love. Now, notice what it says. This is, we will, help me out. What's that word? Grow. How will we grow? I don't know. I just said speaking in truth like 10 times in a row. I was hoping there would be some sort of auditory response back because it's that simple. It's not crazy complex, but it's just that true. How will we grow? Help me out, please, somebody. So what keeps us from growing? When we don't care enough to confront, or we're not secure enough to support. When we don't care enough to confront, it keeps us in spiritual immaturity and limits us as a body. When we're not secure enough to support one another and come alongside, it keeps us in spiritual immaturity. Grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him. From Christ, the whole body joined together. Now he's getting back into the body metaphor. This is so good because he's, I don't know if you get this, but the body is so intricately connected together. He's going joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. Just underline that as each does its part. We'll get to that in a second. See, sometimes we can think speaking in the truth and love, that's for somebody else. That's not my responsibility. But it's as each of us that every part does their part. So Paul paints us a picture of what spiritual maturity looks like. He says, first, spiritual maturity looks like living out, not just speaking, living out grace and truth. John 1.14 says of Jesus that, that he was the fullness of grace and truth. That, that's who he was. That if you look at Jesus and how he responded... And, and by the way, if you just go through, and we're just finishing up the Gospel of John in our Bible reading, if you go through, you'll notice Jesus has a way of engaging those who are religious, elite, who are prideful, and he has a way of engaging those who are far from him, and they are different. When he engages the religious elite who proclaim to know God, and yet their hearts are hard towards God, he comes with truth and then grace. He comes with truth, and then he brings grace, because that's what they need. When he comes to someone who's far from God, he comes with grace, and then truth. Always, every time, go read Jesus, so good. You just look at it, and he he shows us how to go about it, and that we don't treat everybody the same way. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Let me give you maybe a couple ways. It's just straight from the text for you to think about how do you go about living out grace and truth. First, start with what? You said speaking the truth. What? Content matters. Start with what? Truth, not preference. Truth, not your style. Truth, not your personality. Well, where do I find 
truth. I'll say this is a good place to start. I, I don't know about that. I just flipped it open. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Now I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Oh, wow. Not just here, but he's deposited the spirit of truth inside of you. To be with you forever. Would you start with what? Content matters. The things that we argue about online have less to do with truth and more to do with our own personal preference. Then move to how. Approach matters. Your approach matters. It can't just be what. It has to move to how we go about it. Um, I was at a Keys a few months ago with my family. Uh, it's a Saturday after baseball, and we're hanging out. Uh, and we get in, and it's a little busy out on the outdoor patio. And so uh, we kind of had to get tables that were separated, my wife and I and kids. Or we decided to get tables that were separated. It was a nice date time. Thank you. And so my kids are right over here. And there's a group of about 10 to 12 right here of young college, maybe um, young professionals. And then we're right over here. Now, this group of, you know, 12 young professionals are having a very boisterous time. Uh, they obviously had been there a couple more hours before we got there and drank a, a handful of um, swirls. And so they were as loud as loud got. And yet the contents of their conversation was as crude as anything I've heard in public. And so we're sitting there, and my kids are right behind them, and Jenny and I are just kind of wrestling. We're wondering, what do we do? You ever been there? Like, what do you do? Like, okay, I don't want my kids to grow up in a shelter and some of those sort of things, and so um, maybe this is good to expose them. You know, a few cuss words, and then having that conversation is okay. But, but then when the conversation turned to all sorts of kind of sexual innuendos and these sort of things, Jenny finally had it. She's like, you know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go tell them, because this is crazy. And, and I'm, I'm like an activist. I have to do something. And so she gets up and I go over there and I thought about how to do this. I said, I said, Hey guys, they all kind of turn at me. So first of all, I just love you. I think I did. I mean, that's how I started the whole conversation. I'm like, I just love you. I can tell you're having a blast. I'm so thankful for that. I, I think it's awesome that you guys have such great friends that you get to hang out and just get a let loose. It's awesome. Now, I have three kids behind you, and all eyes turned, and all eyes sunk. I'm like, if, if there's any possible way that you could, you know, maybe keep it a little clean just for them. I, you know, love you, love what's happening here. I think it's awesome, but... 
And they're like, we had, and they literally, in almost unison, said, we had no idea there was kids here. Because they didn't. They had no idea. It was obvious they had no idea anyone else in the restaurant was there. <laughs> I sat down. And then one lady from a corner over there came up to me and said, thank you for how you did that. That's not the best part. Three different people at different times from that group came and told me thank you. One offered to buy us a margarita. Hello. (laughs) Another walked up and said, "Uh, uh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm actually a Christian. He has no idea. He doesn't know I'm a pastor. He doesn't know I'm anything. All I did was speak the truth in love. Approach matters, even with those who aren't a part of the family of God. And he's like, I'm a Christian, and I can't believe this. I'm, I'm so drunk. He's literally, I'm so drunk right now. <laughs> and he's just talking. And like, so sad. And we're just like, dude, no, get it, man. Forgiven. Forgiven. See, this is powerful. And how we do it in the family and outside the family is really, really important. And it changes, by the way. This is what we miss out. It changes the very atmosphere and direction of a group or an individual's life. What? How? And then finally, why? Motives matter. Motives matter. Think about it. Said so instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to mature. Before you speak, before you practice or live out the truth, before you ever address somebody else, you stop and ask, okay, what's the point? Why? Because I could approach, by the way, that group and tell them, you're a bunch of jerks and you're being jerky and you need to cut it out. And I'd be true, it would be true and it'd be right. What's the point? What are you hoping to get out of it? Are you, is, is when we talk to one another in the church is the point, I, my heart for you and my prayer for you is that you grow. I'm not saying this just to correct. My, I'm saying this because I want you to be mature. I'm saying this because I long to see Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that grow and develop in you. That's why. That's my starting point. And when that's your starting point, it changes your end point with people. What? How? Why? Paul says spiritual maturity is living out grace and truth. That's it. Approach matters. Second thing he says about spiritual maturity is is that Christ is the head of their life. 
Um, in our church, we do this. Uh, we started this at the beginning of the new year. We have this profile of a disciple. I actually look at this card. I, we get to give you guys a new card. I've kept the same card um, because this is really meaningful to me. And for us to be speaking and receiving, see, Christ has to be the head. What I love about the profile of disciple is Christ is at the center. Every single morning, I review this card. I have back on here where I'm wanting to take next steps, share my faith, uh, spiritual conversations, pray powerful prayers. Those are my two outside of the New Testament reading plan. And I look at this, but I just remember, Christ, you're at the center. I want to reflect and reorient my life. Christ, I want you to be the head. I want you to set the direction. I want you to have your way. And we will never become spiritually mature if we can't hear God speak to us from others. It's easier for many of us to speak the truth in love. Sometimes the calling is to receive the truth in love and not respond with a defensive, reactionary, Don't judge me. Well, you just don't understand. Who are you to speak into my life? At some point, you got to go, Christ, you're the head of my life. And I, what that means because that's both figuratively speaking of the body and, and in the nuance of you're the leader. What that means is that he is the head and we are part of the body. And so we're interconnected with one another. And so we're in need of each other. And we go, Christ, you're the head. If you want to speak through her, if you want to speak through him, let me sit with that and will you show me? See, spiritual maturity is where Christ is the head. He sets the pace. And finally, as each part does its work, spiritual maturity does their part to help others grow. Um, John Maxwell has this quote about maturity. He says, maturity is the ability to see and act on behalf of others. Immature people don't see things from someone else's point of view. They rarely concern themselves with what's best for others. They act like children. See, at some point, we have to embrace this isn't someone else's role. We all have to do our part together. As each part does their work, we grow. We, we, I'm not riding a merry-go-round, you know, we, went we all the way home. Okay, as each part does their work. Um, as many of you know, I've had uh, shoulder problems. I had an MRI shared about, found out that I have a partial tear in my shoulder. Now, I want to bring up this picture. Um, I wanted to kind of talk to you about my shoulder, because the shoulder is an amazing uh, 
area of the body. I've learned a lot about it, unfortunately. Uh, And so I don't know if you knew this, but there's nothing that really holds your shoulder in. You know, like it's there's only um, muscles and tendons. It's not like locked in there. And so you have four major muscles, the supraspinatus. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how that's uh, said. The infraspinatus, the teres, minus, minor, and subscapularis. And some of you guys can uh, correct me later. Now, here's what's so interesting, though. All four of those muscles move and pull the shoulder in different directions. Some pull it this way. Some pull it up this way. Some pull it this way. It's amazing because of the way your shoulder's designed, it gives it incredible mobility, dexterity. As each part does their part, even though they're pulling in different directions, they work in harmony together for the shoulder to move. I have pain even just when I did that because I played volleyball and I shouldn't have on Friday. Because there's a little partial tear. And when there's a little partial tear, what happens is there's a weakness in the muscle. And so your stronger muscle pulls on it and it's just pulling that joint up into, um, into the bone right there. And so when I move it, it just hurts. It's gotten a lot better. And the reason it's gotten a lot better is because what you do is you strengthen all those little muscles. So I'm doing stuff like this, stuff like this. I'm strengthening every single little muscle in there. And the call for us is to strengthen all those little muscles. We all come in a little bit torn. We talked about that last week. And it's as each of us does our part, we surround one another so that we pull each other back into alignment, pull each other back into way, the way we're supposed to function. That our strength isn't just in our own little branch of muscle, but it is actually the collective combined. And, we, and we're all created so different, and we pull in different directions. But when we come submitted to God and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to speak the truth in love. And we come, we go, and submit it to God. I'm going to receive the truth in love. That's the strengthening work for the body of Christ so that we become what we were designed to be. And so, for you, for you this morning, let me ask you just, just two kind of questions. One, Has someone spoken into your life that you immediately deflected and you need to go back and just go, okay, is is there any truth to that? I need to sit with that. I need to pray. I need to get wise counsel. Two, is there someone in your life that you've been avoiding? Because it would be hard. It might risk the relationship. And you might might care about the comfort than for wholeness. Would you get that clear? Because we're better together. And that's the last 10%.
Do you need to hear? Do you need to receive? Do you need to speak? Do you need to practice? Did you get clear? Write it down. And then just don't let this series pass you by, but then you engage. That's how God's going to use us to be a community that reaches and awakens this generation. God, thanks so much for today. Thanks for our time. Thank you that you love us. You're for us. That we stand on grace and grace alone and that you put a community around us to help grow us. May we lean into you and who you've made us to be. Would you give us the courage to do what you're calling and asking us to do, no matter how hard it is. In Jesus' name, amen.